Well, a conservative driver was being tailgated by a stressed out woman on a busy boulevard. Suddenly, the light turned yellow just in front of him, and he did the right thing, stopping at the crosswalk, even though he might have beaten the red light by accelerating. The woman behind him hit her brakes, laid on a horn, screaming in anger as she missed her chance to get through the intersection. And she was still in mid-rant when she heard a tap on her window and looked into the face of a very serious policeman. He ordered her to exit the car with her hands up, then he handcuffed her, placed her under arrest, took her downtown to the station where she was searched, fingerprinted, photographed, placed in a holding cell. After a couple of hours, she was escorted back to the booking area where the arresting officer was waiting with her personal effects. He said, ma'am, I am very sorry for this mistake. You see, I pulled up behind you while you were blowing your horn pounding on the steering wheel, flipping off the guy in front of you, cursing him. And I noticed a Choose Life license plate holder and a What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker and the Follow Me to Church sign in the back window and the chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk, and I was sure you had stolen the car. Well, we laugh. We laugh, but controlling your temper, especially behind the wheel, it can be a real challenge. Do you understand that the word road rage has now officially made it into the dictionary? In 1997, it was added to the list of words in Webster's Dictionary. There's even a website now called roadragers.com, and it gives some interesting statistics. Seventy percent of Americans admit that they will often follow someone closely to try to get them to go faster, and seventy-one percent will use their horn to get someone in front of them out of the way, and seventy-seven percent will engage in obscene gestures. Unless you're a female, and then it goes up to eighty percent. I have to tell you, if you gesture without out enough fingers, it can be a dangerous thing. A newspaper in Salt Lake City recently had this headline, Roads Rage Finds Bullet, Road Rage Bullet Finds Its Mark. Apparently a 25-year-old man was sitting in his car at a stoplight at 12.40 a.m. A woman pulled up beside him, the light turned green. Both of them immediately began driving aggressively, racing to get to the entrance ramp to Interstate 15. She yelled something at him, and he waved at her without all his fingers. She pulled out a 357 Magnum and fired four shots at his car, one of which took off the tip of his middle finger. <laughs> True story. Isn't it interesting that Something so insignificant as a light changing from red to green and a three-second delay 
in getting to an entrance ramp can so quickly escalate into someone pulling out a gun and firing bullets. Uncontrolled tempers can cause all kinds of damage, and not just on the road, but in homes, in stores, in offices, in schools, on athletic fields. Forty-five percent of us regularly lose our tempers at work. Twenty-seven percent of nurses have been physically attacked on the job. Thirty-three percent of Americans are not on speaking terms with neighbors. And in 2011, British Airlines said there was a 59% increase in acts of air rage. 71% of computer users have experienced what's called net rage, and I suppose that's going to be the next word for Webster's Dictionary. So what exactly is anger anyway? Well, it's an emotion, a strong emotion, usually accompanied by bursts of energy. It's a, it's a capacity that our Creator has built into us, and whatever God creates, He creates good. We're emotionally wired like our Heavenly Father. God gets angry. He does. And He also grieves, and He also loves, and He also has joy. And He created us with anger capacity for a purpose. So let's go to God's Word, the book of James, to discover the Holy Spirit-inspired counsel about controlling your temper. Because without God's Word, I have nothing to say. But from James chapter 1, verse 19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Now that's review from last weekend, you remember. And now this. Slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, look at this in context, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the Word planted in you which can save you. Now, I want you to notice here that the Bible does not say never get angry. In fact, there is a verse in Ephesians 4 that says, be angry, but do not sin. So it's not anger that's the problem. It's the abuse of anger that we need to monitor. It's the abuse of anger that we need to control in ourselves. Anger can be either destructive or constructive. Anger is an emotion that in itself is neither bad nor good. It's what happens in our expression of anger that makes it a bad thing or makes it a good thing. So let's divide it up here this morning and talk first about destructive anger, and then we'll end on a positive note, and we'll talk about constructive anger. First, destructive anger. There are two ways to describe this destructive anger. One is explosive, and the other is implosive. Now, explosive anger involves acting out, yelling, screaming, hitting someone, throwing something. That's explosive anger. Implosive anger involves holding it inside, saying something under the breath, or else saying nothing for a long time long time, 
stuffing the anger. And so more than a third of Americans today lose sleep because of anxiety or depression caused by suppressed anger, which, by the way, has overtaken physical ailments as the chief cause of long-term illness. Friends, we are talking here about anger being a major obstacle to the good life now. We can't have life to the full if we don't learn to control our tempers. Now, I find it compelling that the Bible knows about both the explosive and the implosive expressions of anger. There are two New Testament words for anger. One is the word thumos in the Greek. It means rage, boiling anger that erupts like a volcano. Now, this is the person who's hot-tempered. This is the person who gets angry quickly and easily, and lots of times this same person will get over it quickly and easily, and they're ready to kiss and make up shortly after they act out, not realizing that when a volcano erupts, it spews lava all over everyone, and that lava cools and hardens everything or everyone around it. So if you manifest this boiling anger, this thumas kind of anger, you need to understand it. People around you are going to get very cold and very hard toward you over time. Now the second word for anger is the word orge. And it is the Greek word for simmering anger. So we're talking about boiling anger and we're talking about simmering anger that hangs on for a long time, sometimes creating temporary estrangement between people, sometimes permanent alienation in relationships. Now, this is, the, this is the bitter person, the person who can stretch their anger out and hold a grudge and make it last. This is the, I never want to see your face again kind of anger. This is the, I'll never speak to you again kind of anger. So what motivates, what triggers this destructive anger anyway? Well, I think, I think there are three causes. See if you agree. First of all, sometimes we get hurt. Physical hurt can trigger anger. All right, you're driving a nail with a hammer and you miss the iron nail and you hit your thumbnail or you bang your head, or you burn your tongue, or someone steps on your foot, or someone sucker punches you. The only time I ever saw my maternal grandfather get angry and use a bad word, he was trying to remove a stubborn lug nut off a wheel rim, and the tire iron slipped off, and his knuckles made contact with the pavement, and he said a bad word. And he knew that I heard it, and he was very embarrassed. But he just got angry, just flared, just like that. Well, the second cause of anger is, is getting offended. A little different. Someone humiliates you. Someone makes fun of you. Maybe a stranger is discourteous or doesn't say, excuse me, or thank you. I remember a guy on a plane in the row ahead of us placed his bag under his seat, which was actually my wife's space for her feet and her bag. 
and she very politely asked him if he might move it to an overhead bin. He refused. So I moved it for him. And then it was his turn to be offended. Now, we, we all have these little cameos in our personal histories. We do. Someone does something we don't like, and we take it personally, and we get angry. The last few days, we've watched in the Muslim world how offended they were, the extent of their anger over a perceived offense to their prophet. Well, sometimes, too, we get frustrated. Our anger has roots in frustration. Our plan for the day gets wrecked. Our car breaks down. People are not on time. Long lines, fussing kids, trainees learning their new job at the expense of your time. Frustration is the reason for a lot of conflict in our lives, and it's because we have an agenda that's not materializing. We are not happy with the way things are. We feel like we've lost control. James talks about this in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You covet, but you cannot have what you want. You do not have because you do not ask God. Well, it's this destructive anger that James is talking about in chapter 1, verse 19, when he says, Be slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Now, trying to boil it down, I think there are two serious consequences of uncontrolled anger. You may be here this morning and say, Look, I've worked on my temperament in the past. It's a losing battle. I'm out. I'm going to be who I am. It's kind of a Popeye philosophy. I am what I am. Well, listen, if you make that decision, if you've got an anger issue and you're just not going to do anything about it, you need to know two things. Number one, an uncontrolled temper will damage your character. If you've got a short fuse or if you're someone who can really hold a grudge, you need to know that the Scripture says you're foolish. Look at the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 9. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. So you can walk around with advanced degrees, and you can flaunt your sophistication and your intellectual superiority, but if you're given to anger, the Bible says you're a fool. Some people who probably watch too much professional wrestling or go to too many episodes of the Hulk have the idea that uncontrolled anger is actually a sign of strength. Not so. Again, wisdom literature of the Old Testament, Proverbs 16.32, better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper, than one who takes a city. Now, I know this morning, I am speaking to someone today who is angry down deep. It's smoldering there inside you. You've learned to live with it. You've live, learned to live around it. But to truly get over it, to truly get over it, you've got to stop treating it like a weakness. 
and start treating it as wickedness. It's a sin that God is commanding you to repent of and to banish from your life. We just read it a few minutes ago. This is in the context of being slow to anger. James 1.21, get rid of the moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now, you cannot be humble in a state of anger. If you're angry, you're not going to be teachable. You cannot receive the word, the implanted word, the word that God wants to see planted in you. You're not going to receive it. If you're angry about something in your past, you're angry about something in your life now, worshiping, learning, growing in church, forget it. That's the last place you want to be. But listen, these very resources, worship and Bible teaching and fellowship are the things that can save you from your destructive anger. Okay, so what else can uncontrolled temper do besides damage your character? Well, an uncontrolled temper will destroy your relationships. Have you ever noticed that angry people are typically alone a lot? <clears throat> Why is that? Well, it's because isolation is the involuntary response that others have to someone who's liable to boil over, someone who is constantly simmering. Angry people are unpredictable in social situations. They can be opinionated. They can be embarrassingly outspoken. They can be resentful. They can be rude. And you've got to go with their agenda or they get mad. They're inflexible. You've got to watch what you say around them because they're easily hurt, angry, People are high-maintenance relationships, and people tend to distance themselves from high-maintenance relationships. Now, dads and moms, listen up a minute. If you want long-term health in your relationships with your young children, who will one day be your adult children, you must simply realize that anger and intimidation and unpredictable emotions and obsessive control can derail your dreams for your family's future. Love them. Accept them. Patiently teach them. Discipline them, but give them the benefit of your example. Do not manipulate them with paternal mood swings or your dispositional unpredictability. If you do, they will emotionally disconnect from you as adults. So destructive anger, it'll damage your character, it'll destroy your relationships, and it'll definitely keep you from experiencing the good life now. So let me pull together seven biblical truths to further motivate us to get rid of this destructive anger, to banish it from our lives. First of all, anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires, James 1.20, for a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Two, anger should have a time limit. Ephesians 4.26, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Somebody says, 
Well, do we really need to take that literally? Why not? Number three, anger can be diffused with gentle words. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Number four, anger that explodes quickly leads to unwise decisions. How many people have done something in the heat of anger that they've reflected on and regretted? He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. Number five, anger should be analyzed to see where it's coming from. And you might need to read some books. You might need to listen to some tapes. You might need to get some counsel. But anger should be analyzed to see where it's coming from. And it says in that text that in your anger do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. In other words, when you're alone, when it's dark, when there are no distractions, when things are quiet, and you can think honestly about who you are, do that. A lot of times it's on our beds that we think straight. Number six, anger is learned behavior, so avoid those who model it. Proverbs 22, 24, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. And number seven, really the point of the message, anger is an emotion that must be controlled. Proverbs 29, verse 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Well, I want to close on a positive note. So let's turn the coin over now. We've talked about destructive anger. Let's talk about constructive anger because sometimes anger is justifiable. Sometimes anger is appropriate. Jesus got angry more than once, yet He was without sin. One of those accounts, my guess is you've overlooked. It's in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, where we read this verse. He, that is Jesus, looked around at them in anger, and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and His hand was completely restored. We've jumped into the passage here, but here's what's happening. A man with a withered hand needed healing, which the Pharisees opposed because they saw it as unlawful to heal on the Sabbath day. And Jesus got angry. And what made him angry was this, hard hearts in the presence of human hurts. And you see it again at the beginning and end of His ministry when Jesus cleansed the temple by driving out the money changers. They had set up shop in the outer court. It was the only place that the Gentiles had to worship. And they were exploiting, even swindling the worshipers who were coming to the temple by charging them outlandish prices for sacrifices. And the Lord's compassion for these victimized people drove Him to roll up his sleeves, take off his belt, and wade into the crowd. And he didn't ask the disciples for help. He's turning over tables, he's scattering coins, and he's driving the animals out of the temple. So he directed his anger at their sinful behavior. 
He didn't say, James and John, string up one of those Pharisees over there. I'm going to beat him to a pulp. He, he, no, no. He, he waded into the crowd and he said, you've made my father's house of prayer a den of thieves. He directed his anger at their deeds, not at them personally. And Jesus illustrates for us that constructive anger is fueled by righteous indignation. It was Martin Luther, the reformer in the 15th century, who is quoted as saying, I never get anything done unless I get angry. <laughs> and it was Luther's positive energy that brought about spiritual renewal and change and reformation in the church to move it back in the direction of biblical grace and away from the corruption that was in the Catholic Church. Speaking of Luther, he was Martin Luther King, motivated by righteous indignation because of segregation in the South. He stepped up to protest. He led the civil rights movement to produce much-needed changes in our nation. And there are so many things that should stir our constructive anger. Sex slave trafficking of children, that should make us angry. When I hear about 30,000 orphans created in Uganda because of the senseless slaughter of their parents, orphans who are subsequently drafted as child soldiers into a devilish army, I read about that, it stirs me. It makes me angry. Drug traffickers who enslave and kill teenage kids makes me angry. Muslim fathers who perform so-called honor killings on their own daughters makes me angry. But does our righteous indignation prompt us to do anything? That's the question. That's the question. I think many of us waste our constructive anger instead of channeling it channeling it into sacrificial Christian service and sacrificial Christian giving, we waste our anger because somebody parked too close to us in a parking lot and they scratched the paint on our car. Or somebody misplaced the television remote. Or botched the house repair. Or I got a stain on my favorite shirt. Or a bad haircut. We waste our anger. We waste our constructive anger. Here's the thing. James chapter 1 verse 18 says that our Father in heaven has chosen to give us new birth through the word of truth. And if we experience the new birth, well, then we should exhibit new behavior. And this new behavior includes the self-control that we need to live the good life now, to live life to the full. But it's not attainable by human efforts. It is the byproduct of the Holy Spirit's work in us, and it starts for all of us when we let Jesus Christ save us from ourself, save us from our sin. You put on Christ in repentance and Christian baptism. 
and you begin to yield to the Lordship of Jesus. And then you watch over time what He can do with your life and your future 